Good evening, Grace Covenant Church, and welcome from wherever you tuned in. It's going to be a great Easter service. So as we see from the Gospels and um, reading the history of this road leading to the cross, we, we have seen Jesus coming to, to Jerusalem riding on a cot. We have seen him washing the feet of his disciples. We have seen Jesus being arrested, tried, and sentenced. And now we are at a point where he is hanging on the, on the cross. And this is where we are concentrating this evening. What does he say? And what significance does these uh, sayings have for us? He says a word of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He says a word of salvation to the dying thief next to him. Today, I will be with you in paradise. He says a word of relationships. Woman, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. He demonstrates also that sin gets punished. That God departs from us when we sin as he's bearing our sins. God abandons him and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says a word of humanity. I thirst. Which shows that uh, we are going to be thirsty. We are going to be hungry. We are going to experience all sorts of things. But we take courage. Because greater is he that is in us than he who is in the, in the world. He also says the word of victory at the end. It is finished. That is what he says. And finally, he says a word of committal. Committing his spirit to the Father. So we're going to have um, a group of boys and girls uh, talking to us this evening. Explaining and expounding further on these words. Enjoy. Bye-bye. This morning I have the privilege of joining with other members of Grace Covenant Church to share the sayings of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. It's an, it is interesting to see the thread of the gospel that runs through this, these seven sayings of Jesus Christ. The first saying on the cross is found in Luke 23 verse 34 where Luke records, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. This is a most remarkable request. Jesus has just endured the most excruciating, painful torture after being found guilty of false charges brought against him by the religious establishment. The Roman soldiers were mocking him. One of the two criminals hanging uh, on either side of him hurled insults at Jesus. Yet despite this, Jesus speaks to his father and says, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness for many people is one of the most difficult things to do. I've heard people say that they will forgive but never forget. I've heard it said that forgiveness is only requires a decision. Dudley Daniel, one of the fathers within NCMI, would tell his audience that they have only got 20 seconds to get out of their miff tree. If they stay in it any longer, they would start furnishing their houses in the miftree. Each one of us should be that quick 
at forgiving others. It should not require a debate on whether I will or won't forgive. It should not require a conscious decision. When I look at Jesus' response on the cross, it was more than a mental decision. I see Jesus revealing the Father's heart. John 3.16 shows us what the Father's heart is all about, where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in verse 17 it carries on and says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The Father's heart was and still is to forgive the world today. David the psalmist gives us a hint of this when he writes in Psalm 24, verses 3 and the first part of verse 4, where he says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And he answers the question himself when he says, The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. I suggest that forgiveness is a heart issue. When forgiveness comes from the heart, it is as if the offender had not caused offense. When we forgive from the heart, we display the love that my friend Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. He writes it, and he's talking about love. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And I emphasize this part of the verse where it says it keeps no record of wrongs. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we have been encouraged to wash our hands. Today, I want to encourage you to move beyond your hands to your heart. May we get to the point where, like Jesus on the cross, we forgive from a pure heart. Luke 23 from verse 43, reading from the Young's Literal Translation says, Verily I say to thee, today with me thou shalt be in the paradise. We are reading the words that were spoken by Jesus to the criminal. In the story, Jesus was crucified between the two criminals. We see Jesus even in the story in the midst. And we look at this words that were said by Jesus. He says, Verily I say to thee, Today with me thou shalt be in the paradise. May we stop for a moment and ask ourselves, Why was it important to Jesus to use this word, verily? Verily means certainly. Was it because this word is in the Bible just to occupy the space? I do not think so. I think Jesus used this word for a purpose so that this criminal probably he could not memorize the whole verse, but I believe the word that kept on ringing in his heart and that gave him peace was the first word that said, certainly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' name in, in Hebrew means Yeshua, which means salvation. So the question is, this outcast of society, this criminal who was condemned to death by the justice system of the world, what did he meet 
when he encountered Jesus at the cross. He met this chesed of God, this unearned, unmerited favor, salvation by grace. It was not based on what he has done, but it was, not, it was based solely on who Jesus is, this Yeshua, full of mercy, kindness, this unconditional love. And I believe that this criminal could not probably um, memorize the entire verse. But I believe the word that gave him peace was the first word that said, certainly, because it gives him assurance. I think Jesus used that word so that there should be an assurance in the heart of this man that he, he is the recipient of his total forgiveness, his unconditional love. And as we know that the Bible is not a history, may we find comfort in that first word that said, surely, certainly, you will be with me in paradise. And that is the word that I believe will give you peace in whatever circumstances you are experiencing. And I think... Um, what was the point of contact for salvation for this man? I think the point of contact for his salvation was wrapped in this key word, certainly, verily. Friends, may we be reminded that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible is not history. And may we take that word that Jesus said at the cross and bury it in our heart that says, verily, I say to thee, Today with me thou shalt be in the paradise. And may we find rest and comfort in who Yeshua is. And may we glorify him when we sing, Who am I that you would Hello care? There, I'm James. I'm going to share with you the seven last words of Jesus Christ as recorded by the Apostle John in John chapter 19 verses 26 to 27. The Bible says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. In his last words, through his nature, Jesus displays great love. He is dying, he's in agony, he's gasping for every breath. But the moment he sees his mother, who is weeping, heartbroken, inconsolable, his heart goes out to her. Instead of being consumed by his own welfare, he is touched by hers. Historians tell us that Joseph probably died just before Jesus Christ began his ministry. And so at this point, Mary is a widow who is going to take on a new title, the widow and the mother to the criminal who was crucified. It's not going to be easy for her going forward. On the cross, therefore, what does Jesus teach us? The first thing he teaches us is to love family. We must love our parents no matter what. 
Yes, we may have misunderstanding with family. Family may hurt us. Jesus, likewise, was misunderstood by his family. But on the cross, we see him loving and expressing love. The second thing he teaches us is we are to be responsible for our family. Obedience to Christ is primary, and obedience to parents is to be secondary. And this is what Jesus taught his disciples in several ways. However, our commitment to God does not absolve us from family obligations. To put God first does not mean we are free to neglect other priorities. At the end of his life, Jesus sets the example of loving and responsibility. May God show us over this Easter season how to love him and at the same time to love our family, be it blood relations or be it the household of God. May God richly bless you and happy Easter. What a privilege it is to be able to share, share this journey with you, going through the words of Jesus as he endured the cross for us. The next words that we're talking about and looking at is from Matthew 27, verses 45 to 46. It says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken? These words are often referred to as the words of agony, words that reflect the emotional and physical pain that Jesus felt in that time and in that situation that he was facing. He had endured pain the whole day, but now he was enduring a new type of pain when he realized that his God, his Father, was no longer with him. He had endured physical pain through the day. He had endured pain of being beaten, the pain of being ridiculed and mocked, and now he was facing the pain of being rejected, rejected by his friends and his disciples who had all left him, and now the abandonment of his father, his God. These words are also found in Psalm 22 when David makes the same appeal to God, and if we read in Psalm 22 we see it says, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. David also voices of, of a feeling of being forsaken by God. A, fear of, a feeling of God's ears not being turned to his cries and not being able to hear what he is saying. But as we read in that psalm, we see that in the end there is a victory, victory that God gives David. God gives David a victory over his enemy, and he is no longer being ridiculed, but he is now being exalted into higher places. Jesus knew these words from the scriptures. When he endured the cross, he knew um, that there was victory that was to come. He knew that he was doing this for a greater cause and not only for himself and for his father, but he was doing this for me and you. If I have a look at the Psalms and I have a look at what I've just um, 
uh, scene in, in Matthew with Jesus saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have three lessons that I have learned by reading these words and reading the Psalms, and they are, one, Jesus lived as flesh, constantly in the presence of his Father. We see him often referring to, I do not do this alone, but I do only that what my Father has sent me to do. A lot of his healings and a lot of his actions on earth were done based on the fact that his Father had instructed him and had guided him to it. And so the agony of not feeling the presence of God with him during that time on the cross was an agony that was far too much for him to bear, which led to him making that cry out to his father, trying to find his father's ear. The second lesson that I learned is that Jesus endured agony in order to take the sins of man onto, his, onto himself so that he can create an, an opportunity forgiveness of those sins. He experienced both physical and emotional pain on the cross. He endured pain far beyond what we can understand when he was there for us and doing this for us. Not for anyone else, but for you personally. He did this not for himself, not for God, but for us to be in relationship with him. And then the third thing is one of the greatest fears that we have as man. And that fear is that we would be abandoned by God. That God would forsake us. But out of this, we are entered into a covenant relationship with Him. And so we can know that God is always with us. That God has promised us that He will be committed to us. And that He will be with us until the end of time. Like we did in the series at the beginning of the year. God will be with us always. So therefore, we see in Hebrews 13, it says... Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What, come, what can mere mortals do to me? We can be grateful today for the actions of the cross, for the brief separation of Jesus from his Father, for the words cried out on the cross, for God has promised us that He will always be with us and that we are in relationship with Him. John 19 verse 28 to 29 Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Jesus' cry, I am thirsty, echoes David's prophetic Psalms 22 and Psalm 69, where in agony and weariness David writes that his mouth is dried up like a pot shard and that, he gave, and that they gave him vinegar for his thirst. Here, as Jesus is dying on the cross, we are reminded of his humanity and his suffering. He is the Son of God, but He is also the Son of Man. Often we can forget and minimize Jesus' humanity, but if we do that, we are implying that Jesus was not tempted as we are, that He did not suffer as we do, and that He could not die for our sins. But Jesus is fully God and fully man. John's Gospels 
John's gospel points in many ways to Jesus' divinity. But here, as Jesus is dying, he shows us his humanity. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we have our high priest who can understand our weaknesses, who was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. And for that reason, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we, so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There was a well-known Scottish theologian called Samuel Rutherford who lived in the 1600s, and he went through many hardships. One of the reasons we know quite a lot about him is that he used to write letters of encouragement to his congregation and friends. I've paraphrased a short part of one of his letters that he wrote to a friend in distress, and I hope that it encourages you today if you are suffering. He said, You know that the heaviest end of your cross is carried by Jesus. Isaiah 63 says that in all our distress, he too was distressed. Jesus suffers with you. Glad may your soul be even to walk through the fiery furnace with one who is the son of man, but also the son of God. Give courage to your heart when you get tired that he will carry both you and your burdens. And in a little while, you will see the salvation of God. God bless. John 19 verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. How many times during the day or during the week do we use those words? For small, insignificant things. Um, I, for one, after a long week at work and I'm very tired, will say, Oh, this, work, this week is finished. Or after doing something... A little bit that takes a little bit more effort after you finished your 10 kilometer race you might say oh, it's finished or I think we're all gonna say it is finished after this lockdown we're having when looking at the verse while preparing for today what stood out first to me was the word finished and after some digging I found that the Greek word used was tetelestai it comes from the verb teteo which means to bring to an end, to accomplish or to complete. It signifies the successful end to a particular course of action. Tetelestai is in the perfect tense in Greek, and it is significant because it speaks of something, of an action which has been completed in the past with results continuing into the present. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And how great is that, that he did that in the past, but it still continues to have effect in today, to, in the present. The second word that stood out to me was it. Although Jesus was about to breathe out his last breath on the cross, he referred to the situation as it. And I think any normal person would, in that situation, in that moment, Say, I am finished. I'm so stirred to ask myself the question of what the it is in my life. What my purpose is. And that also leads me to the next question of who am I? And as a mom and as a, a teacher teaching small kids, I really know a lot of Disney movies. And in the movie Moana, there's a song... It's called Who Am I? And the granny speaks to Moana while she's on her journey um, and she gets scared. And in that song, she asks her, Moana, who are you? 
And Moana answers with a really touching reply in the song. And it goes like this. It says, who am I? I'm a girl who loves my island. I'm a girl who loves the sea. It calls me. I'm the daughter of a village king. Of the village king. And the song goes on and it finishes with her standing tall and saying and realizing, I am Moana. And then she continues on her journey. I think we often ask ourselves those two questions. What is my purpose and who am I? When replacing a few words in that song, it really stirs my heart. And I really think you can put in your own words that's applicable to your life and to who you are. Who am I? I'm a girl who loves my city. I'm a girl who loves South Africa. And the spirit calls me. I am the daughter of the Most High King, and I am a disciple who loves his people. We find our way through his word. He calls me. I am on a journey to tell the people, I am everything he says I am. Still he calls me. And the call isn't out there at all. It's inside me, like a tide rising and falling. I will carry him here in my heart. And he will remind me that come what may, I know the way. I am Nandi. Who is Jesus? He became the ultimate suffering servant for God's people, for all people. He took our sins upon himself to set us free. He died on the cross for us, giving us future and eternal life. Jesus said in John 6 verse 38, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Let us remember what he came to finish and let us remember who we are because of him. The last word of Jesus when he was hanging on the cross is found in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 23 verse 46. When you read it, it reads something like, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then he breathed his last and he died. Now, throughout Jesus' Jesus's life, he had a very close, intimate relationship with the Father. And that relationship, that faith in God, is demonstrated here even at the last, at the last second. He commits his life to the Father. He trusts the Father that the Father is going to vindicate him. Another thing that we need to observe about the life of Jesus is that he dies as he lived. He, he lived a life of prayer, a life of quoting scriptures all the time. And he is praying even now as he's committing his life to the Father. He is praying and may we be like that, be people of prayer right up until the very end. His relationship with the Father is demonstrated by the fact that in the Gospel of Luke, his very best words that are recorded in scripture he is talking about the Father. He says in Luke 
Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in the Father's house? So Jesus begins in the Father's house and he ends in the Father's hands. His trust and his faith in Jesus remains till the end. Also notice that this is the seventh and the last word. On the seventh day, after God created everything, the Bible tells us in Genesis that he rested. In this seventh word, Jesus is resting his spirit in the Father's, in the Father's hands. So, 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 all these words of Jesus are so important. The word of forgiveness, we are forgiven, then we are saved, the word of salvation, to, today I'll be with you in paradise, and then there's a word of relationships, must have relationships with other people, there's a word of agony, will not be spared these things just because we've believed in Jesus, but we know that he's always with us. And the word of victory, it is finished. It is finished. We will always have a victory in, in, in Jesus. And when we die, we will be committing our lives and our spirits unto his hands. We are not surrendered to the grave, but we are going to be with him. Be encouraged this, this Easter. Jesus is always with us. Amen. Jesus, we approach your throne of grace with thanksgiving in our hearts. We're so grateful, Father, that you have given us your only begotten Son, that we may have life in abundance. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us on the cross. Thank you that we are beneficiaries of the salvation that you adopted us into the kingdom as your children. Father, at this time, we just want to ask that you Watch us with your blood, that you help us, Almighty Father, at this time to have an understanding, a deep understanding of what it means to be saved, of what your death on the cross on that day means to all of us, and that we may also share your love uh, with those that we come in contact with. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you be with our nature, that you be with this world, that you bring salvation of God, that people will come to the knowledge of who you are, and that your name will be lifted up, and it will be exalted. We ask all this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior.